Hi, Carm Capriato here, and welcome to Remarkable Results Radio, episode 383, with the Apex Service EDU panel discussion recorded live at Apex 2018. Our topic, the road to great technicians. And you know, your help is needed. Basically, you can't buy a master technician anymore. You've got to build your own. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, always great to have you along for the best aftermarket long-form audio interviews found anywhere and putting the aftermarket in context, as we do best. Carm Capriato here, and I have the honor to moderate this panel at Apex 2018 and to include NASTAF's Executive Officer, Donnie Seifer, also a partner in Seifer Automotive in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Also with us is Jill Saunders, curriculum developer, Toyota Motor Sales North America, and a member of the Road to Great Technicians Project, along with Chris Chesney, Senior Director of Training CarQuest Technical Institute, and Kyle Holt, President of SP2. Hey everyone, thanks to Federal Mogul's Garage Gurus for supporting Remarkable Results Radio. If you can't make it to a hands-on training session, well, Garage Gurus Online provides you with 24-7 access. Yes, 24-7 access to the high-quality training you need to succeed. Online, on-site, and on-demand. Find out more at fmgaragegurus.com. Hey, find the episode's talking points, and there are a lot of them, at remarkableresults.biz slash e383. Also find my panel's bios and links to their previous episodes. The recording was not as pristine as you have come to expect, but please don't let that stop you from being in the room at Apex 2018. Listen to the discussion that is fundamentally valuable as we get ready to deal with the tsunami of seeding our industry with our future techs that will have the competencies necessary to perform mechanical and diag work and also the need to develop career paths for every level of technician. We need apprentice and mentoring programs that will become standard in our industry, all moving in the same direction so that we can groom and grow our technicians' careers so we can have the competence to work on the tech and safety issues of our future vehicles. Now, we do not need our government involved in directing competencies. We've got to do it ourselves. This discussion is one you'll need to hear time and time again. You will need to be involved and help move this initiative forward. Don't wait to get involved. Now, our first step is to become a member of NASTAF. It is free. Go to nastf.org. Look in the show notes. We'll have a link. In this opening monologue, I can't do justice to this discussion except to say to listen, look at the show notes, and start to make this effort part of your strategic plans in your business. We must find a single song sheet to sing in a unified voice. The seed has been planted. Be ready to get involved. Now let's dig into a very enlightening and vibrant discussion that includes comments and questions from our audience. Enjoy. Independent shop owners must pay attention to this movement because the larger groups who will develop career pathing will take the talent. You need to play in this sandbox. Donnie, that, I think maybe you or Chris is one of your favorite lines. You, you got to be able to play in the sandbox of career growthing. So I'm opening it up to the panel. Let's start this discussion, this conversation. Okay. Well, I guess the first thing that, I, that comes to mind for me is that that whole idea of folks that really go out and develop the, the, the curriculum, the career path, the whole plan for a technician, those are the folks that we're going to find that parents and the influencers who help people make decisions about what they're going to do for a career, that's who they're going to gravitate to. 
And the issue we've got where we don't have the greatest perception by those people, that isn't going to get any better unless we're out there participating. And we've got a lot to bring to the table as independent repair facilities, as well as we've got some issues, and Jill can speak to that, but we've got some issues with dealers having the same problem with this churn that, you know, churn isn't healthy. I, somebody here has got numbers, I can't remember, about what it costs when you lose somebody. Yeah, I, think, I think the industry is starting to, to put some numbers together. And at an earlier conference this year, we talked about uh, that in depth. And when you consider uh, the cost of losing somebody that you didn't expect to lose, for sure. Yeah. And in most cases, shop owners don't have the, the pipeline full uh, with the replacement talent. Uh, so that when that person leaves, they've got somebody to just plug in and go, that understands your culture, that understands your process, that can use every tool you have in, in the service base, that understands how you operate and communicate to your customers. Uh, so when you lose that person, the amount of, of revenue that you lose uh, or uh, do not gain over a period of time is, it could be twelve to $15,000 in profit a month. It could be $100,000 in revenue if it lasts for six or seven months. And it depends on how you onboard and how complex that is. Uh, at the end of the day, you just you can't afford to just go out and find somebody when you need to go find somebody. You always have to be involved in this process of, of growing your own or, or being uh, partners with others in your community so that as shop owners, you're growing uh, talent together so that you can share that talent. Uh, otherwise, everybody in the industry or everybody in your market is losing cash. Let, let me break in here and say we, we just can't ignore this problem. And you know, on the podcast, uh, when I interview service professionals, I say, so what's your biggest challenge in the industry? I always ask it in a questionnaire that I send out to them, and they always write down the technician shortage. <laughs> and I, I really, about two months ago, I said, i got to stop asking that question. I just have to stop. And my, my, my question now is, what are you doing about it? And that's what we're here talking about. So I think the notes that are going to come by, by the way, we're going to record this and put it out as a podcast so you can have a chance. You don't have to take a ton of notes. They'll be kind of done and already done and scripted in an audio format for you. Um, but the churn, Donnie, I think you mentioned the word churn. Jill, what's Toyota doing about that? We're trying to come up with some creative solutions um, for this. I think... The number is we need 1,400 technicians a year to keep our, our Toyota and Lexus dealers supplied. Um, we have our T10 program, which is a great program, but unfortunately we don't get enough technicians to fill that 1,400 technicians every year. Um, we're trying some creative solutions, uh, trying to partner our dealers better with high schools and post-secondary Programs get them in touch with where they should be recruiting from. Um, I'm currently working on a program right now to help people transitioning from the military back into the workforce um, that have a, a technical aptitude to that they can apply and go through an accelerated training uh, program, be in the classroom for 12 weeks. And then we'll pair them with a dealer where they'll uh, be an apprentice for 38 weeks and hopefully become close to or if not a certified technician by the time, time their program is done. And uh, 
there's a lot of excitement in, in the military right now. I think some people, when they're ready to exit, one of their biggest fears, whether they decide they're going to end their career with the military and come into the civilian life, is what am I going to do after, after I exit? If I don't know, maybe I'll sign up again. How so. many, uh, I wonder how many think about joining the automotive uh, industry if they were in the motor pool. I mean, I, I would imagine that, that that would seem like a natural evolution. Do, do anyone here hire a military vet? You have? Complications. Mm-hmm. Not problem solvers. They're used to do what they're supposed to do. So it's, it's, a, it's a tell me what to do and I'll do it. So to get, I mean, a really good tech, he's got to be a problem solver and know what to do. Yeah. Okay, but... but so that can be a bit of a challenge. So, so my question is, is, are they trainable, Amy? Yes, Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Got it. Yes. Hi. Sure, I can repeat that. My name is Faye. I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and I do mobile automotive repair. So um, I have a lot. A lot of my customers are veterans, and um, and I you know work on projects with them. But one of my favorite customers, who's a veteran, uh, when he got out of the military, he was really excited about the Toyota T10 program. He went through it, did all the training, has a bunch of ASCs, um, and then when he was doing that, um, like working in the shop. There's a senior technician who said to him, hey, trust me, you don't want to do this. The pay sucks, you know, talking about flat rate. Um, and, and uh, you know, gave him a bunch of reasons why, why not to. Um, and so, you know, he, he left that. So I'm wondering, like, what, what um, actually, this is not the question. This is just the answer. That was, that's my feedback. <laughs> Good feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to be Phil Donahue this early in the show. <laughs> really, really, let's get something more established up here, and then I'll, and then I'll come out and, and hold your, write down your ideas. But thank you very much. Wow, I usually do this at the end. <laughs> that was good, Carl. I'm talking with Jonathan Cicchelli, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Now, you're visiting shops every day, so when you put product in the hands of the technicians and service advisors, what are they saying? Uh, going back to Federal Mogul's long-term um, presence in the in the industry, they already know the product, and some of them we don't have to say much about. It's the newer product, the latest innovations that we come out with that just blow people away. So, Jonathan, you take that brand new OEX pad and you put it into the hands of a technician. What happens? They look at it and are kind of speechless for a couple seconds, and they just can't deny that it's an awesome-looking product. And they can't deny that it's going to work fantastic on their vehicles. Now, another phenomenal product line that is just one of the most iconic brands in the entire industry is Moog. Now, there's a lot going on with Moog. The newest thing with Moog is going to be, I think, the most important thing to the shops is a newer design ball joint that we created. And that was off of technicians' responses to a boot design. That's that compression-loaded ball joint with the pre-installed integral dust boot? Absolutely. And as soon as I pull that out of a box and show a technician or a shop owner, they just were like, this is amazing. So, Jonathan, would you say that you're a champion for Federal Mogul Motor Parts and all the premium products? Absolutely. And a champion for all the training? I'm, I'm very big on training. I've always been in training since I've been in the professional field. So just to come back and support on the other end has just been an awesome experience. Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit 
fmgarageguru.com. Hey, Carm here, and I'm stopping for just a second to tell you the November 2018 password for our SWAG swag contest. It is learning. Just go to remarkableresults.biz slash swag to enter. Good luck. Kyle, any, any, uh, would like to chime in for us? Yeah, I, th- I think that if I were going to say something, I'd, I'm going to steer away from the military topic for just a moment. <laughs> That's okay. Because I don't want you to have to take your mic out of your shirt to give it to people again. But, you know, we, you know the, where we work is primarily with the career tech students. And so we're working across 2,600 career tech programs. We've got 175,000 students using our training each year. But the stats show that only 6% of all students in America are even considering any type of career tech education. And so we've done such a great job of steering every student towards a four-year program. If, and if all we've got is 6% even thinking about it, now we've got to share that 6% with cosmetology. We've got to share it with HVACR. We've got to share that with welding. That's a really small number to pull from. So, yes, every shop needs to be thinking about how am I going to fill that pipeline but we've also got to be filling the pipeline of students coming into the into that into the career tech education for the transportation industry. Thank you. It starts at the dinner table, and I think we have to put that in focus here as part of our discussion. It's great to hire vets, but we also have to seed this industry with with the youth that want to come in the industry, whose parents want to tell them about it. So it goes back to image in, in, in this whole career pathing. I am not anywhere near as qualified to talk about this as this team because it is a huge passion for NASTAF. The Road to Great Technician is a NASTAF initiative, and they are working so hard to figure it out. And I know you've got some aggressive and strong plans for 2018 to to really get, if you will, build the foundation of this and then figure out, not figure out, but then to build the house on top of it. So... This, this dialogue is important, and the, uh, so we have to, you're, you're all going to have, us, have to ha- help us change the image of the industry, figure out how to pay bigger and better benefits, because when we sit down with the technicians and we talk about career pathing, there needs to be something worthwhile to chase after. Mm-hmm. Right, Donnie? Yeah, so I have a, my middle child is very technical. He's in the STEM <coughs> program at Weaver High School. Um, he had all of the 3D animation stuff. This is not a gushing father, but it is. Um, it, he had all of the 3D animation stuff they had to learn to be there done in the first six weeks he was in the program. It's supposed to take him all year. Um, this kid wants to work on cars. And I said, if you want to work on cars, you need to start today. Because to be competent, even after two or four years in a program, you're going to have to be that smart. And that's why it's so important that this dialogue you're talking about starts happening with fifth and sixth graders because they need to look at things differently. Um, I've got Xander looking at math completely differently. He was originally not going to take Algebra 2 because he's killing geometry. He's all A's, right? And I said, well, you know, we ciphers fail in Algebra for some reason. So I'll get you a tutor because I think you need to get through it. And so we're looking at that from a different point of view. STEM's teaching it from a different point of view. And so I think to get these kids 
online with us. It's got to be way better. Donnie, you recognizing his talent, he, he came to you about automotive because he's been around it, right? He, he was born into the family business. He's down working with Grandpa right now Okay, today. And, but, but what about our future who's not working with Grandpa in a, in a repair facility? And, and, uh, and the parents say, accountant, lawyer, oh, you're a gamer? You should be a programmer. I mean, those are the, those are the careers people are looking to set forth for their kids. But so, the kids cross-pollinate each other. The STEM program's proven that. Sure. If, at Wheat Ridge, if you've got kids who would never have thought of it, I've, I've got one kid that's my third daughter. <laughs> not really, but they live at my house, right? <laughs> she was not going to do anything. In fact, she's at Wheat Ridge High School strictly because of the STEM program. No involvement. By the way, the automotive STEM? Yes. Uh, I interviewed seven, seven of the students last year in the, in the Apex studio here. You owe it to yourself to go on my website. By the way, my cards are, are, are out in front of you. Go to my website, go to the search bar, type in STEM. You owe yourself a listen. You will have goosebumps listening to this episode about these seven young high schoolers and how passionate they are for their automotive STEM program. Donnie, I mean, it's, it's just it's an incredible program. But the idea is that then when the kids are talking to each other, you know, some kid talks to Xander about, well, what's your dad do? Yeah. It's way more powerful mm -hmm. than me coming in and talking oh, about it. And so then they say, well, can I come down to the shop and have a look around? You know, and then that's the day I've got all 69 Mustangs in. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> they still like it. So I just think that, that we aren't taking advantage of all the opportunities to let the kids help us develop this, as well as influencing the parents. Well, one of, one of uh, your son's advantages is that he's already working on vehicles. Mm -hmm. And we've got a large number of students that are entering the career tech programs, for, whether it's auto yeah. service, collision, diesel, and they've never worked on a vehicle before. Mm -hmm. We've got to also get them involved in working on vehicles in industry while they're still in school. And oh, we yeah. can't just wait until they graduate no. and then go, oh, well, no worries. I'm not worried at all that you'll instead choose to go work at, at Walmart or at Wendy's or something like that. We've got to get them involved in a, shop, in a real shop environment like your son has the opportunity to do. Yeah, that assimilation is really important. They, they need to actually feel the real car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, just looking at pictures of it and play. There's a video game, you know, that you can work on cars now. Mm -hmm. And my son is doing that. And I'm like, dude, come with me. <laughs> That's not the real thing. Well, I think that also points to the, the issue we have with education and the need to remodel the way we educate, not just automotive students, but uh, trades in general. And from the standpoint of moving away from an outcome-based education, which, which is really just delivering the content and praying they get it when they go home. Uh, at, at the end of the day, they're, we're immersing these kids in, in technology that uh, we've not kept up with as, as uh, the aftermarket side of education uh, from uh, an entry-level perspective. Uh, we've, we're expecting them to spend those same two years in vocational school and understand today's technology compared to what it took to, to understand your 69 Mustang that's sitting in the shop. And, and that's insanity. And so back then we could give them that that content and that outcome-based education, we could give them that content and we trusted that, okay, they'll go back and they'll, they'll know how to apply this. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, well, every kid did that. 
They did that before they got into grade school. Today, kids don't, don't play tactically in, in everyday life or in, in their play. Uh, but we need to move from that outcome piece to uh, a more competency-based or mastery of skill uh, program, which is really the same content. It's just giving them the opportunity to get their hands on it, do it, apply it, and do it in, in, a, in a relative uh, way, a relational way, as well, which means if it's relevant and it's, and it's in context with what we are going to have them do when they get into industry, not some, not some broken down Camaro that's a drag car for the high school instructor and we're having them work on it. Uh, 69 Mustangs, okay, but the Camaro would be bad. And, and, uh, or, or not working on some, just a simulator only or a trainer only, which is the front end of a car that's cut off and has casters on it. And yeah, that's, that's relevant uh, to a certain point. But to, to go and use those skills in what I call use those skills in anger. Use those skills for a reason. Use those skills to solve a problem. And so then giving them the opportunity to prove that, that skill or that they've mastered that skill <laughs> and not keep them locked into that content at that point until all their peers move at the same point in time to the next project or the next course or the next level, but give them the opportunity to move when they're ready. Chris, it, it just triggered a thought. Road oh. to great technicians. <laughs> I know we're, we're needing to do stuff in, 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 high, in middle school, high school, post-secondary, so that it flows upward. Is the initiative, this is a question to all of you, it's, is that part of it? But is, it also is the people that are in the industry now and working have to join that same program so that when this group gets there, they're already done or, a, or they're in it? Yeah, it's a cradle to grave approach okay. is what we're looking at, a complete career path. You know, if you're interested in this, how do we sustain you and help you do it? And it doesn't matter. In our opinion, the way this program is structured, whether it's in Jill's shop or it's my shop, they should be able to come in with the same competencies. Mm -hmm. That's what we're targeting, is to train so that they come in with the same competencies and all they have to learn is the culture of that business. Mm -hmm. So if I'm gonna work at Toyota, I'm working on these models and that's the piece I have to learn there, but I am extremely competent at doing a brake job from day one. And I understand electricity and a light bulb does not elude me. How are you going to actually get this done? We have to do it fast. <laughs> All right. So not only from the, from the point of view of we need to get it done soon, but we also can't spend 10 years making somebody competent because no, right. they've got too much investment. They're going to lose interest. Even these Z kids that, that we're getting to work with at the high school that are just, they're different from their parents. In fact, I like to say they're, they're baby, baby boomers. That's what uh, I hear. Yeah. Uh, I think that those kids really, they, even they won't hang around for a long time if you don't have them a way to take all of that knowledge that they're gaining and put it into action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. So let's, let's talk about putting that into action then. Because this is something that we're working on at SP2 and, and talking about how do, we, how do we make this a part of the road to great technicians. And that, that comes down to mentoring. Mm -hmm. So... We've been working in conjunction with uh, ASC and the ASC Education Foundation on how do, we, how do we create a systematized mentoring program that's digital, accessible, 
and scalable across the entire nation. And so we created some training courses. We created a course on uh, how to be a mentor, what's expected of you, what you can expect out of your mentee, how to be a mentee, wh what should you expect when you're as an entry-level tech going in and having a mentor next to you. And then also for the manager of that relationship, how do you pick your mentor? How do you pick your mentee? How do you pay your mentor and your mentee? And because if you don't pay your, if, if that mentor is going to lose a dollar growing that next technician, they will sabotage the program. So they can't lose money on it. How do you deal with tool issues? That mentee is not going to have all the tools that they're going to need. So there's going to be borrowing or there may be shop-owned tools. How do you put all this together? And then we created a, uh, an online mobile optimized tracking system where the mentor has it on his phone or, or his tablet and, and he, or, he or she is out there with their mentor and saying, okay, here are the tasks. And we, that's where we're using the ASE Education Foundation task lists. If we can get education and we can get industry speaking the same language, I think we'll figure out which tasks are important to industry but not important to education, which tasks are important to education but not important to industry, and where we really matched up. Because you mentioned brake jobs. They need to be able to do brake jobs right from day one, work on tires and wheels, you know, do some of this basic stuff. But what do students really want to do? They want to tear down an engine. They want to rebuild an engine. Do you really want an entry-level tech working on an engine in the shop from day one? No way. No way. So we've got to have industry and education like <laughs> joined at the hip. And so uh, we're working with ASC on this. In fact, I see Mike from ASC in the audience right now. And this is something that's important to our organizations, but it's, in, it's important across the whole thing. That's why, and we're just going to, we're giving the mentoring program away. So how do we get that mentoring out there, may, figure out what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, and make those changes? We'd rather give it away for free and, the, and, the, and yeah, fix this yeah. mentoring thing. So, so the training and the tracking system. Okay. Yes, shop, you can definitely have it. Shop owners that are here have got to, to listen to that. How can they get it? All they all they got to do is uh, go to sp2.org and just send an email to us. Just contact us. Say, I want the mentoring system. You got it. It's yours. It's yours. Now, look, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all right from the get-go. We know that. ASC knows that. And we've all talked about this. We all recognize that we're not going to get this 100% right right away. So what are, but if we don't do something, yeah. then we're all going to be here a year from now, five years from now going, boy, it sure would be good if we had a mentoring system. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing, uh, Donnie, it has to happen now. Kyle, you've got something that would help the current group of young uh, people that are in our industry and, and, and get them through the ranks the right way. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think the, the mentoring program is the right way today. I mean, there's, there's no better way to do it than to have some kind of structure. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and, and we, but we've also got to show the young technicians a career path. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's maybe the, the thing that Road to Great Technicians has really been working on is how do we show them not just here's a broom, start sweeping, or welcome to the lube rack, never shall you see the light of day again, <laughs> but what, what do you need to do to get to that next level? And I think that's where Donnie's been work, trying to lead our group together and, and go, okay, how do we show that career path for this next generation of technicians? So you said career path. Whose responsibility is it? Our shop owner? Well, I think it's an industry responsibility mm -hmm. to really identify. I mean, I, yesterday at the NASTAF meeting, I did a show of hands. Well, let's do it again. 
How many started as a technician? Everybody. How many of you are still a technician? Okay, so you see, there are other jobs you can do in this industry, clearly, or you wouldn't be at Apex. So how do we show parents and kids the opportunities beyond just being a technician? This is also why I say we have to do it fast, because we may only have them for three to five years in the shop, and then if we're really running a business where we care about what the individual does with their life, they should be moving on to something else. Exactly. Well, but, but, the but they don't, they do don't necessarily else. have to be moving they on. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a technician. And mom and dad at home need to know that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there are there are ways to move up from the lubrac to that next level. How do you how do I become a B tech? Then how do I move on to become an A tech? What are the things I need to do? And if I want to move in other directions, what are those? Maybe parts, corporate with uh, OEMs, you know, whatever you do, Donnie. <laughs> Uh, a raise of hands, does anyone know what Donnie does? <laughs> Donnie doesn't. <laughs> Please let me know. <laughs> What's my job description? My dad would like to know what my job description is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff, uh, you all. Thank you so much. Um, uh, part of the road to great technicians is to really figure out that competency piece. And I'm going to throw that up for grabs here. Okay. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is identify those competencies. And really what a competency is uh, and how you write those and, and create them in such a way that it's, it's understandable across industries is step one. But uh, I think it also starts with, uh, it started with a conversation that Donnie and I had uh, about a month and a half ago in Colorado with ASE. Uh, and I'll, I'll share that conversation at a high level with you. At the end of the day, uh, industry allowed uh, control of itself and, and, the, and the pipeline of talent coming into our shops uh, to go away, to, come, to leave our hands and our control uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. And there, there's a few of you in here that are old enough to remember this. So I, I, see, you know, I see the old guys sitting over here in the corner. So, the, the, okay, there's not much. <laughs> Thanks for bringing the hair, John. So, so that's exactly right. So at the end of the day, ASC was put together in the early 70s to, to keep government out of our business. But, at the, but really at the foundation, it was, standard, it was set there as a standard for our industry to gauge the knowledge base of a technician. And it was supposed to be supported by industry. And ASC and industry would support education as a result. And it worked great. And then in the late 70s, here comes technology. We started seeing fuel injection and computerized controls and those sorts of things. And ASC reaches out and says, hey, industry, help us with this. We need to understand this and prepare ourselves for this so that we can support education. And we're sitting there going, no, you're doing fine. You're sending us enough students. We, we aren't having a problem. We're fixing cars. It's, go away. We're, you're, you're fine. And so they turned to the only other partner that they had at the time, it was education. And education at that period of time, we're working on 69 Camaro drag cars in the, in the high school shop as their hands-on component as well as other older technologies because they hadn't been given those new technologies. And so we never were able to, to bridge that gap of 
new technology to what we have the ability to teach today. And so between now, between then and now, here we are. And so over the period, that period of time, as technology is introduced by the, the supplier or the inventor of that technology, the creator, uh, and is sold to the OEM as a great new technology to put on your vehicle, either because the federal government said we have to, because of safety or fuel economy or whatever, or because it's just cool and I know people will buy it. And it came with a set of instructions to be installed on the vehicle and to be implemented. And that's always done perfectly, right, Mark? It's, you know, Toyota does a great job of implementing technology, but there's a, others out there that don't do such a good job. And then they train their people on how that system works, and then those trainers train the dealer technicians on how that works so that the Toyota technicians and Chrysler technicians and Ford technicians can be service ready. Somewhere in there, the aftermarket gets that information and delivers that information to everyone in the room. So there's that point in time when it's invented to the point in time where we learn how to, to work on it and service it. And that gap over the last 30 years, 40 years, has been maintained to a certain extent. It's pretty stable until the last several years. And now technology is on this, this upward curve and it's, it's starting to get into that very steep curve. If you recall, Mary Barra, uh, CEO of General Motors, two years ago stated that in the next five years, you'll see more technology uh, launched in this industry than you have in the last 40 years in this industry. Uh, well, that was two years ago. Just saying. So the next three years, we're going to see we're going to see an upward climb in that technology. So she was right, and the outcome is is we're going to have a competency issue. So at the end of the day, we're seeing that gap grow because the technology is being advanced so fast that we can't keep up. And so what that requires us to do is several things. One is we've got to get better at teaching our, our kids and, and training technicians and getting away from outcome-based education and learning how to diagnose a CAN bus on a Toyota and then go to a class and learn how to diagnose a CAN bus on a BMW. It's a CAN bus. It's a competency. It's like, it's like righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. If we get electrical diagnosis to the level of righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, then that's what a competency is. You can hand a wiring diagram to a technician. He doesn't care what the badge is on the, on the fender of the car. It's a competency in that skill or that discipline to be able to apply that understanding to solving the problem in front of him. That's where we need to get. Now, that's just a switch we flip, right? No, that's not a switch we flip. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, we, I, I think we're looking at a, a, an Everest issue, but I do believe the mountain will lower itself so that we can climb it if we get everyone on board. And we get the right programs working, ASE, mm -hmm. NASDAQ, all the associations, all the organizations, Let's talk about the schools and get them to a new and better level of what they're teaching and training. Our instructors need to go to a brand new level. Well, I think that to kind of circle or close the circle on, on where I started is that the conversation we had with ASE is it's time for industry to take back its rightful place in supporting education and ASE. 
And that's what Donnie and I challenged ASC with, that we were there as members of industry and, it, and we were there to take back that role. By the way, can I get an amen on that? Amen. So how do we do that? Well, the task lists at ASC and ATEF are being rewritten or ASC Education Foundation are being reconsidered and, and vetted uh, on a regular basis. And instead of those seats being filled with educators, and I saw Dwayne in here somewhere, Dwayne Myers, did he walk out of the room? He must, he must have, he, okay, so Dwayne Myers and I were, at the last review, Dwayne Myers and I were the only two industry people in the room. The rest of the room was full of educators. And they're in a protective state because they have, they have skin in the game at this point. So we can't just throw them out with the bathwater. We've got to be able to overhaul this in a way that allows them to flourish, but at the same time, give them the, the tools they need to teach those competency-based uh, skills uh, and we need to support that from the industry. Team, I want to I throw something at you. Think about this. What happens if we don't do this? Well, it's very simple. People yeah. won't be able to drive cars. Yeah. They'll have to buy new ones when they break. Yeah. Neither will the dealers. Yeah. They've Neither got the, will they've the got dealers. They've got the same issue. If you don't have people competent. And, and just so that this doesn't sound heavy-handed, because we haven't gone here yet, NASDAQ is not out to tell everybody what to do. No. NASDAQ is out to connect everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Bill and I were talking at the beginning here about an, an initiative that's going on within AASA. And there's another initiative going on across this country somewhere else. And, and Bill hears about the one and says, well, why are they doing that? We're doing that. I can't tell you how many times we've heard that. Yeah. So our next move as far as uh, you know, an organizational move is, we've got apprentice programs and mentorship programs all over the country. We're going to have those guys get together and talk about the programs and figure out what they do great, what they could do better, how can they share this stuff? Because everybody seems to want to reinvent the wheels. Very frustrating when you hear, oh, no, we've got it. we got the whole industry. we got it. Well, we've heard that for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It hasn't gotten done. So one thing that I think is interesting that just happened to me three days ago is that uh, I, was, I was talking with uh, uh, one of the executives at one of the large uh, collision repair MSOs. And, and he said, we need to talk about mentoring. We've, we've been trying to do it internally. We've tried to create our own program and didn't go so hot. So I want to talk about the, the mentoring program that you've got. I want you to come down, meet with myself, and meet with the executive at my competitor, and we're all going to go in the room together and we're going to work on how to solve this problem. Oh, and by the way, the other two big four MSOs, they're on board. They just can't make it to the meeting, but we're going to get this thing started and we're all going to work together to create, uh, to try to systematize this so we can grow our own, grow our own techs across the entire collision repair industry. They recognize that they are very, very competitive with each other in terms of getting cars in the door and trying to hold on and grow market share. But when it comes to people, it's now at the point where, where collision repair is saying, forget it. We're not going to compete against each other in trying to create our own programs. We've got we've to all work together. Now, wouldn't it be great if as an entire, uh, the entire automotive service industry came together and did that? And we're starting to see that also on the diesel side. Frankly, and Carm, you and I have had this conversation, diesel 
they are ready to take all of the automotive service students and collision repair students that they can get and bring them right on over to diesel. And they're paying better, and typically you don't have to buy tools or you don't have to buy many tools. And they have a, I mean, they have got a primo offering for that next generation of technicians. They are happy to bring them on over. Starting to see collision repair move that way. Starting to see a lot of the service shops and the the dealers look at, okay, it just doesn't matter if you were just auto service. If you were a collision student, come on, we'll, we'll show you how to work on, how to service a vehicle. But diesel, they're already pushing this thing forward. So we better get our act together in terms of growing our own techs and working together as an industry segment because the other industry segments are already beginning to align and, and, and trying to create the same thing. Jill, Toyota mentoring, a lot going on there? There's a little bit going on there. Uh, I'm actually working on a, building a mentoring class. Um, we're trying to build a new, speaking of career path, build a new level of technician, so to speak, in our dealer. Um, called the service quality specialist. Wait a minute. Take notes, everyone. <laughs> You're recording this. They don't have to take notes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, little, little Toyota corporate espionage. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> and uh, the, the idea is, is that right now the, the highest level of technician in our dealers is a master, Toyota master technician. Um, we'd like to see our dealers take a Toyota master technician and make them a salaried position where they can focus on mentoring or coaching awesome. technicians underneath of them, right? Um, very cool. I think mentoring new technicians and coaching our certified and our expert technicians um, and also that position will also focus on on helping technicians with the quality of their the work they're doing so everything gets fixed right the first time. You know, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm on an advisory board of our, our community college and uh, when we were we look at stats uh, last year and we, we as they followed through on the grads from each and every year, they've, they've come up with a 40% churn out of the dealership after two years. And I had this great opportunity a few weeks back. I was in Cary, North Carolina at ASTE, and I did a bunch of interviews there. In fact, uh, Chris, Chris was on a panel with me. And I, got, I was the luckiest guy in the world. I had three technicians in the room, and one of them was from a Dodge dealership. And I've always wanted to interview a technician from a dealership. And I asked them two really important questions. Why don't technicians want to come to work in the aftermarket? And you know the answer to that, because the work is much too hard. And the other, the other thing I said, so why is this churn? And it was really, and you just nailed it, by the way. This is why I'm saying it, Jill. Uh, when the young person comes in the door and they are, they got to learn flat rate. And then they get these certain jobs. And you know what? Anyone who's been a technician broke things, didn't know how to do the job right to start with. And if they didn't have any guidance and any, any support, any mentoring, anyone to walk their hand down the road for a few years, they were going to make mistakes. They got bullied. And, and so when I hear the story that you want to make that a salaried position, then that person 
doesn't have to worry about their income level. They're they're engaged. Part of the job is to bring these bring these young guys through. We got to stop having them be at the trough of post secondary, taking all the top grads who end up going to diesel and everywhere else after two years because they get disenfranchised with automotive repair or wind energy, or they go to or they go to aviation or marine or any. There are a lot of industry segments that would love to have our students. They'd love to have our, our entry-level cast-offs that we, we forced out of the industry. So part of the, uh, the road to great technicians has got to be the re-engineering of the mentality of the shop owner. I mean, they, they've got to be so on board, Donnie. Well, and so I think what, what we tried to do <coughs> to approach that was we developed an entry-level technician. This is, this is what this, this individual looks like. When they, when they finish school. And it's radically different from the perception that many shop owners have. But as I like to say, there's nothing like a crisis to pull everybody together. <laughs> so when Chris and I socialized this, the team asked us after we, you would not believe what we went through to develop this. I had seven of the smartest technicians you've ever seen. You'd know every single one of their names working on this thing and the damn guys couldn't send me back something that didn't look like a master technician. <laughs> couldn't do it. And so I got frustrated with them and I was supposed to meet with Jill the next day and I knew she was gonna kill me because we didn't have it together yet and we promised this for months. So I sat down at the shop with all of my repair orders and I said, what do we do every day? Do I expect an entry level tech to be able to do that? That goes on my list. And I built this list and I sent it off to everybody and said, what do you think? And they came back and said, oh, you missed charger, charging and starting. Okay, good. Now, what do we think? So then Chris and I took it out and socialized it with a bunch of progressive thinking shop owners who yeah. understand the issues and said, what do you think? My favorite comment we got back was, if you can build that kid, I'll adopt him. <laughs> and, and guess what? No engine repair. Yeah. No transmission overhaul, no differential overhaul. We asked them for the garden variety, straight ahead stuff that's the majority. Because if we don't get that now, we're in trouble. Because the new stuff that's coming that needs to be serviced depends on your knowledge of those systems. Mm -hmm. Even an oil change isn't an oil change anymore. Uh, we haven't used the words tsunami yet. But it's a good one. It, it does lend itself to that wave that's, that's coming. Um, Let's go to one of the uh, one of the IATN uh, comments. Let me tell you what the question was that we posed on IATN. Do you envision that a competency exam, both verbal and practical, is the future to show skills to a standard as we grow the next group of technicians to be able to deal with every form of mechanical and technology changes they will see? Well, there's a lot of words there, but a pretty powerful question, yes? And I want to read you a portion of one of the answers, and then I want to open up to any comments. Here's a reply from Jacksonville, Florida. I would like to see some type of exam to measure the abilities of those entering the automotive field, not only for those who are entering, but also for those of us who have been in this field for years. We all need to be challenged to stay at our peak. We will never learn it all, but we all can continue to learn. We need a standard that can help measure the abilities and the progression of techs as they work in this field. I move down. The question is not stating that a test will be able to tell if each tech can handle every challenge they face. But as we grow our next group of techs, some sort of standard will help shop owners determine 
what level of training is needed per tech. No need to waste time and money on advanced training on a tech who will never be more than a B minus. Offer the best training for those that show potential to advance. Not all techs are created equal, but in most shops, there are positions for every level. Testing may just help us determine who's who. That's some pretty smart reply to this. There's a lot of smart people in our industry. We just haven't figured out how to connect them all to each other yet. Yeah. I agree. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we have to establish some standards uh, that include testing, which we have today. That's ASC, right? Uh, have Scott come up from Diagnostic Network and, and share his ideas because he's influencing the the education team at NASTEF with respect to this. And he, he brought, because Scott's a pilot, uh, he brought the FAA standards uh, to us with respect to uh, certification in, in, as an AMP mechanic or as a pilot, private pilot. And those essentially require a written examination after uh, completing the, the training required for a certain discipline or a certain area of the, of the aircraft. And so it'd be the same for the automobile. Uh, but then it's followed by uh, scheduling an appointment with the certified examiner so you can, you can offer a, an oral exam, which the examiner is going to choose from a, a list of questions that are a part of that standard uh, that are available for that examiner to offer to the student or to the technician. Uh, and they can choose from two or three of those, whatever that standard is. They can have choice of which ones they ask. And there's, there's a rubric or a checklist of the elements of the answer that must be met during that oral exam. <clears throat> and in my opinion, if we get the oral exam right, we probably solve 90% of our problems. Because if, as educators in this room, and I see a lot of you out there, if you, it, when you're going into a classroom and you start talking in, in, in terms of electronics or electrical systems, What's the number one thing that most, most students think they can do, but they can't do? They can't do a voltage drop test. Have them try to describe it to you. Have them do an oral exam on that and see whether or not, if they can describe it and hit the rubric, they can probably perform it. But then if they pass that oral exam, then they get to go in the back of the, into the shop area of the examiner and they do a practical exam. So I think that FAA model is so nearly perfect for what we do, if we just emulate that and then worry about standing that up, I think the work, hard work doesn't need to be uh, building something different than what the FAA built. I think the hard work is how do we, how do we support it? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that can be supported through the vocational education system. I think that can be uh, a godsend to vocational education because we could stand up uh, a financial model that would pay the, the examiner and the, the profit stays at the school level so that we support the, the vocational schools in that way and then allow ASC to proctor that and, and manage that certification so that when you walk out of there with a certification, a new certification, right. that has much more value because that technician has proven their mastery of a skill and that is sellable and marketable to a consumer by a shop owner in a different way than it has ever been, which means you can raise your prices and you can pay your technician a, a livable wage based on the skills that they've just proven that they have. Patrick, you didn't amen. So, uh, we, we, we need another amen. We need another amen. <laughs>
Thank you. Jill, can we learn anything from SkillsUSA? I absolutely think we can. SkillsUSA is a hands-on competency-based test, right? Um, for those of you that don't know, SkillsUSA is a partnership between industry and education for secondary and post-secondary students um, where students will compete with each other sometimes like at a local level in a school then to a regional level then to a state level then to a national level and even to a world level where you're competing with technicians or other vocational programs uh, with folks from other countries Kyle and I have been on on the team helping put together this contest I got Chris and Donnie to show up this year to the national contest and Scott well and it should be noted that you're in charge <laughs> of the AST national competition. I don't like to announce that, but yes, thank she you. is. Thank you. She's the boss. <laughs> She's the boss. Um, where where we're testing these students with both the ASC written test, which is a hundred points of the thousand points that these students have the ability to learn. Right? What best way to show that you know what you're doing? than by actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, most of the time, the students at the national level, they've, they've already got a plan of what they're going to do after they've graduated. I think where, where we as an industry can really help support this program is at our local and state levels, because the, the pool of students that are so excited about the industry that are learning the trade, but not only the trade, they're, they're learning the soft skills as well, how to interview, how to do a resume. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there uh, and a lot of great candidates that want to learn um, that we can pull from. Thanks for all you're doing for skills, by yeah. the way. Yeah, awesome. one thing to, to add on to what Jill's saying about what what we see at Skills USA, there was a student last year who, in talking to one of the judges, said, nobody ever told me I was good at anything until I got into my automotive program. My instructor was the first person who ever told me I was good at anything. I achieved my first certificate of, uh, of any kind while I was in that program. And where I thought I was basically on a dead-end path, now look at me. I'm here competing against the best of the best in our nation. You know, we've got to remember that not everybody coming into our industry comes in with all the support from home that they need. They don't come in. Some, some of them, like this young man, was coming in literally having never had any support before his instructor got a hold of him. We've got to recognize that those instructors out there are vitally important to the future of our industry. Mm -hmm. They're going to shape those young men and young women who are coming into our industry and try to push them towards us. We've got to be there to lift up the school, lift up the instructors, mm -hmm. help support them, mm -hmm. find the financial resources, the equipment, the in-kind donations that we can make. How do, how do we prepare? How, do, how can we expect our students to be ready to work on 2018, 2019, 2020 vehicle models when 
were giving them a 1983 Saab to work on. That was my first car. I totaled it. And don't let the air out of their balloon the day they get out of school and walk into our shop. That's right. Don't say, everything you learned there, forget all that. Yeah. Yep. It's not the first not time the I heard it. it. Yeah. Jill, I have a follow-up. All of you, really, the students that are going through all the skill levels, both local, state, regional, and national, has anyone done any research to find out where they end up three, four, five years later? I mean, is, is secondary going to post? Is post going into the aftermarket or the dealerships? Are they working technicians? Anybody know? It's a good question. I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's the, that's the holy grail. That's where there are a lot of organizations yeah. out there trying to, trying to track those students from cradle to grave, right? Yeah. All, cra cradle all the way, cradle to retirement. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Thank you, Jim. By the way, this yeah. is what I do for a living. I ask good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I promise you, if she gets back to me, I'll get back to you. Hey, one more, one more comment here from the IATN uh, thread. It's a short one here. Uh, I think a test for knowledge and a hands-on test for abilities would be a great way to get the right fit for vocational schooling. Too many people think they have the smarts, the skills, and the abilities to be a great tech when, in fact, they don't. And it is an injustice to both the schools and the potential student to admit them and lead them on. I really feel bad for people who invest all that time and energy into something that they just never will be successful at. Many colleges have testing for minimum levels for entrance to their programs. Why can't automotive programs? Champlin, Minnesota. I, I think we need to, to think about what happens if we don't. Hmm. I think because of the technology uh, onslaught that we're facing, that we're not facing, we're in the middle of it. And quite frankly, the vehicles you drive every day that you know flash a little light in the mirror or shake the steering wheel or annoy you with a, you know, I, why can't I turn out of this lane and and beep at you and honk at you? Uh, that technology, that advanced driver assistive systems, um, ATIS technology, which is the enabler to autonomous vehicles. Which don't worry about autonomous vehicles. You, there's nobody in here going to own one. And and at the end of the day. Um, we're, we have to work on the technology that, that supports that. So the onslaught of technology is really putting us in a position of risk because all of that technology is focused on really one primary thing, and that's safety. And because it's safety focus, who's watching? I can tell you Donnie and I have, have both talked to NHTSA. Well, we don't talk to NHTSA. We typically listen to NHTSA. <laughs> Uh, and the government is watching us from the, the standpoint of safety as well as cybersecurity. And if we don't get our act together and do this ourselves, I feel like I'm back in 1972 when Harley Veers told me we're trying to keep the damn government out of our lives. And it's not typically a bad thing, but we've got to get our act together because if we don't, they'll come in and tell us how to do this, and we may not like it. We just can't sit on the sidelines no. anymore. And we need to join associations. You need to be part of NASDAQ. And, uh, you've, you know, I heard a lot of discussion about getting to know your politician. Because, as you say, Chris, the, if the government's watching, uh, one day Congress is going to have to act on something. And we need a voice at that table.
Uh, so it's time for comments or questions of our great panel. All right, we'll start up here. So I was over at SEMA um, a couple days ago, and I took a fascinating workshop. Um, it was one I actually had to pay for. It was like 75 bucks, and it was directed towards the collision industry. And I figured, and it was all about uh, liability with all this new stuff. And I thought, well, you know, it, there's some of it's going to trickle down to us. Uh-huh. And when I left that class, I was shaken in my shoes with um, what's coming. So two comments of what I got out of the class. One was they were told that they all need to now have a technician working in their body shops because of all of this new technology and um, they need the smart guys. So they're going after our master L1s, you know, the guys who know the electrical and can test and diagnose. So I found that fascinating to think that every body shop all over the country is now going to be in our pool of competing with the dealers and the diesel and, you know, everybody else. Um, The second thing was the liability of it. And so that's a whole other level of bringing in these new people working in our shops is right now, I, I mean, I do have an intern that, you know, that works with us. And, and I'm so excited to get this thing because I'm trying to reinvent the wheel. And I've been asking Chris at like 12, every time I see him, it's like, do you have the mentoring thing figured out yet? So I'm really excited to get that because I don't, I need a path. So that's awesome. But Right now, I'm more worried about getting my master techs trained enough so that I don't have the liability that's coming. And so that piece of competency, bringing the kids in, is that's going to be a whole nother level. And the liability stuff, which we haven't talked about at all, um, has to be a piece of it. To educate us shop owners, to help us, Mm -hmm. because... It's really scary. Were they talking about the John Eagle case? They I'm talked sure about they a couple different ones. I'm and sure it was, sure they, it sure was interesting because they had a panel of like six people, and two of the people talked about how they were sued. And, yep, yep. and it was like, so wow. So let me take that. Uh, let me share with you that I've, been, I've jumped off the deep end of the pool of the collision industry over the last couple of months. Uh, I've personally been to Appleton, Wisconsin, and visited ICARS Tech Center. ICAR and, and our group are partnering to, to bring collision and mechanical closer together to enable your technicians who have attended our training to use those towards platinum and gold certification within the ICAR uh, side of the house uh, and vice versa. But what we've learned is, is this, because of the research we're doing in our research center in Raleigh, North Carolina, focused heavily on ATIS uh, Technology and and Scott's got a video. One of these days, going to release a video of, of some of the ATIS uh, uh, training and ATIS demonstrations that we did uh, with his crew there, and it'll be on diagnostic.network, uh, diagnostic.net. Um, what we what we have in front of us today is two organizations that deal with automobiles that have never really had to fight over each other. Uh, or over talent, but we have to today. But I think there's two things you need to think about with with that part of your question. One is, yes, they're competing for the same tech, but it's opportunity for a mechanical shop to partner with a collision shop in your market and become a partner in that type of service and repair, especially in small communities. So keep that in mind. Second thing is the technology itself and the liability associated with it. 
there are conversations and you can go on YouTube and find all sorts of panels that uh, you'll hear discussions around you're going to get sued, they're going to take your house, they're going to take your kids, they're going to take you know, your grandchildren and they're going to oust you out of the country. Um, it boils down, and I'm going to circle back to this because I've had some epiphanies over the last, uh, well, it didn't happen last night, that's for sure, uh, over the last couple months. Uh, ATIS technology is really, has, really has the training industry and the equipment industry kind of up in arms and arguing about what it takes to calibrate an ATIS uh, technology, a blind spot monitor, millimeter radar, forward-facing cameras, sonar, LIDAR, all this, all this technology. And the forward-facing statements that all the OEMs tend to make of saying, well, you need to use this, this, and this, or you've got to have an OE scan tool, and you've got to follow OE process, and you have to have OE targets. Um, we're digging into that. We're trying to prove or disprove that. And where we're at today is this. Um, the scan tool really can't tell the controller on board the car to do something wrong. It just tells it to do it. And it's, it's used, you initiate that calibration after you've placed the targets in the appropriate position. The targets need to emulate or, or be the same as what the OE define. And it's not really the OE that defines them in many cases, it's the supplier of the technology that, that defines that in partnership with the OE. So as long as I'm using a target that's appropriate, the next step is follow process, OE procedure, OE procedure only, to place that target in the right spot so that when I get it placed in the right spot, I can then use my scan tool to tell the controller on board, okay, I did, the, did my part, you do yours. So really what we've learned in this whole process is the number one thing that you need to have in place to be able to calibrate ATIS technology or work in that space is the ability to read and the willingness to read. Follow the directions. And the, and the discipline to read it all and the conviction to follow the directions that you just read. And so if we do that, we won't be in trouble liability-wise because we followed the process and the procedure. And so my favorite question of a technician today is this. Do you do wheel alignments? Yeah. Do you read service information when you do wheel alignments? I've been aligning cars for 30 years. I don't need to read service information. Yeah, you do. Do you do brake jobs? Do you do an oil change? You need to read service information. So the core skill that my team has now received instruction from me to build in every course is a technical reading section to make sure that they can read at the 13th or 14th grade level or get to that point. Uh, and Mark and I have had discussions years ago about that. I mean, it's just, it's the reading skills that we have to have to, to apply to, to the vehicles and, and you know, that's really where I'm kind of at at this point. With my Any, anyone else? Yeah, real quick. Uh, I've, I've got a lot of experience working with the collision repair industry. I grew up in the collision repair industry. <laughs> um, they're very worried about liability right now because of the, the issue of who's responsible on the repair. Is it the shop or is it the insurance company? In service, we don't have to worry about the insurance company being involved. So really, it's just going to be the shop, but it does come down to you have to follow the OE specifications. You have to read the, and follow the directions, and too many people aren't. Uh, but when it comes to the, the people issue, yes, 
the shop, the collision repair industry does need auto service skills. And some of the large shops are hiring automotive service techs. Some of them are partnering with third parties who, uh, you know, come in once a week or twice a week, or they even, they'll even put somebody, a contractor, in that shop. And then others, and this is where the real opportunity comes in for the auto shops, are doing what Chris said, and they're seeing this as an opportunity. Go partner with your local collision shops. Go say, look, we, we will be your third party. Talk to them about how, how fast do you need response time. Can we meet that? So there is definitely an opportunity to go out there and, and bring more business in by partnering with your collision repair shops. It's a, it's a target that a lot of shops haven't really focused on in the past, but it's here now, and it's here to stay. Great, great points. Thank you so much. Uh, I, keep your hands up, and I, I will hope to get to every one of you. Last year, we only had one hour, and they gave us an hour and a half this year with a potential to go over. So we're so happy that Apex is, is making this kind of form available to us. I want to say something important right now. I am thrilled and happy and honored to have all the ladies here in the room. And it's, it's, it's a testament to how our industry is just expanding uh, partnerships, uh, shop owners, business coaches. And uh, our next question comes from one of our ladies. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Brennan. I just wanted to take something off of Jill's to-do list. So last week, I participated in the SkillsUSA Business Partner Summit. They have about 600 business partners, um, and 60 business partners gathered last week in Vegas. And we talked a bit about the fact that they've served over 20 million students, that they have 60,000 alumni in their database. And one of the things that they're looking to build is a portal called SkillsUSA Connect. And they're looking for funding for this portal, but basically it's getting after um, collecting that data from students, former Skills USA folks. What industry are you in now? What, what did you compete? Why are you interested in the industry? What has your career path been? So while it's no um, short-term solution, they are looking to That's build that cool. out. That's very cool. Carm, Aaron will get back to you on your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see business card. Thank you. Who's next? Um, sure. How you doing? My name is Robert Trevino. I do workforce development for Gulf State Toyota, and I've got my notes down here. Hold on. I get my soapbox ready. So um, a couple of things I heard discussed with the STEM, the automotive STEM. So that is something that, that I've been working on quite a bit with the U.S. Department of Education as far as trying to move the automotive technology out of transportation into a STEM program and incorporating that because, we, as we all just discussed, we look at it's a skill set. STEM is a skill set. You don't leave to apply for a STEM job. It's the skills that are applied. And all those mm -hmm. skills are applied in our vehicles today. If you really think of all the technology, we all just mentioned it, especially in the safety aspect. For us, it's the uh, safety sense for the Toyota vehicles. It, it's amazing what, the, what that is. The Camry has 39 different independent operating systems. So we do need a different technician than what we need when I was a technician. When I was a technician, you know, they patted me on my, my uh, counselor and said, you know what, college may not be for you. Why don't you go on down to the shop, All right? So um, that, that's changed since now. That, that's not, now we need critical thinking, and that's a strong push that we really need to make as an industry, as an OEM, as aftermarket, because I've done it both. We really, really need that. So I'm really interested in the automotive STEM that you mentioned. Um, because that's something that, that I'm really passionate about. I actually got invited by the uh, U.S. Department of Education to speak at the Educated uh, Summit 
in Washington, D.C. About the, about the topic. So I look forward to doing that. Also, the, we're working on an apprenticeship program in our region. So I work for Gulf States Toyota. We're a, a private Toyota distributor, and we cover a five-state region. And I work with, uh, with Ms. Saunders. So what we do is what we're looking at putting together in our region is a pre-apprenticeship program. And the pre-apprenticeship program will create a vetting of people coming into the program, kind of like the testing that you mentioned, to make sure that when before they enter the apprenticeship program, they are qualified to be in it, and they have the price of admission to be in and be a technician. Mm-hmm. So we had partnered up with one of our the Harris County Department of Education adult learners, and they're going to go through and vet people before they go in there. And before they enter the apprenticeship program, they have to have at least one ASC certification. So now we know that that person is capable of learning and they're committed to the industry. They've been exposed to it. So that will help us with the turnover, thus having for a more a greater point of having growth. And that will be open across to people coming out of secondary, post-secondary, adult learners. So that way we get away also from the liability issue of them being too young to be in our shops. So now when we go into that and they're in other programs, they're actually able to be part and they're covered by everybody's insurance as being liable. A pre-apprentice um, evaluation, apprentice evaluation, wouldn't it be something if we had a national something that everyone could use or borrow? And, you know, it, but Donnie, to your point earlier, there's just so many different things going on. And my only comment is good stuff, but maybe one day we'll have some universal things. You know, one thing I forgot to mention, too, is we're partnering with military as well because they're also going in the pre-apprenticeship, they'll teach them the soft skills as well. And also the technical reading. Soft skills. That'll be an hour if we talk about that. <laughs> Any comments? Yeah. Go ahead. I, I've got one, and this, I'm not, this is, I'll let them talk about the pre-apprenticeship, uh, but I wanted to talk about the issue that you brought up about the students being shuffled down the hall to the auto shop class. That is still going on. That is still absolutely going on. And do not expect it to change unless you get involved with your schools and tell them that that needs to change. It is still going on. And I I was talking to an instructor just last week who said, I have a student who is a 25% in my class, and I am being forced to pass this student. And that's what's got – we're still getting that. You've got students in the classroom who are focused – energized, want to succeed, and you got students who got kicked out of math class for being disruptive. And you got everything in between. And and uh, soft skills, learning skills, you're going to hold it against the instructors when those students come out and they suck. Yep. Yep. It's not their fault. They're try- they've got two years, maybe, to fix 16, 17, 18, 20 years of bad habits and stuff that they learn from their parents or their friends, it's still happening. Or didn't learn. Um, I would say if you're interested in being in the, uh, this group that we put together to talk about these apprentice and mentorship programs, go to the NASDAQ website. You can join while you're there. It's free. Shameless plug. And it's free. And so, yeah, it's free. More shameless plug. And send me, and send me an email. Uh, off the site and say you want to be involved in that. We're thinking we'll put it together first quarter, try to find somewhere sort of central to everybody who's interested in it, and uh, and, and we'll get you all together and we'll 
We'll see what we can do. We'll get in a room. Right? We're not getting the funding for the automotive programs anywhere. You see these huge CTE programs being established, but the automotive isn't. But if we could get that shifted over yeah. into a STEM program, the funding will change. It'll put a different light on it. So now when somebody comes home and says, I'm going to be an automotive technician, you're going to be in shop? No. It's a STEM program because of all the technologies around it. There's a whole lot more schools recognizing that auto service, collision repair, heavy-duty diesel, welding, these are falling under the STEM category. It's, but it's going to change on a school district by school district or community college by community college basis. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, at least right now, they're still going to shuffle the kid who's disruptive down to the auto shop and go, you deal with him, Mr. Johnson. And Mr. Johnson's got to try to turn that young man or young woman into a technician. That's a challenge. But if you flip back to catch them in fifth grade, yeah. because they're tactile learners mm-hmm. and they don't fit into the system because they're tactile learners, you teach them differently right from the beginning. They're not disruptive students. There's a lot of these kids that I've run into over the years that are absolutely just not fitting because they don't learn the way that schools want them to learn. Yet they're smart. They're doing things at home that you're like, my God, could we refocus that on something else? Well, and that kid that that got kicked down the hallway, maybe that same kid who a couple years later at SkillsUSA says, nobody ever told me I was good at anything until I got into automotive. I kind of feel, oh, sorry, I have a really bad voice right now. I've been around students too long. Um, But uh, I'm kind of coming from the belly of the beast. I'm a 24-year educator, and there's two, you're hitting on all the the hot topics. Uh Um, Yes, our product, which our incoming product is our students that have been kicked down the hall. That's been a challenge for years. It is a thing. But we've got an issue and you hit on this earlier about the whole industry culture. So I'll have a student um, who is kicking ass coming into my program, like the one sitting right next to me on my left here, not that the one sitting on my right isn't, (laughs) but the one sitting on my left who goes out after working a year in my program, gets an internship, and where do they put her at the Dodge dealer? Where do they put her? Lubrac. On the Lubrac, because she's got to earn her stripes. And... How long is she going to be there? Well, the, typically, every dealership that I work with, and I, most of my, half of my students are interning at dealerships today, mo, all of them, with the exception of a couple, Lubrac all day long, earning their stripes. And who's with them on the Lubrac? The kids they brought out of detail, the kids they're hiring off the street, right, off the street. She's the only one. How many, Lube, how many at the Lubrac at your Four, she's the only one that is doing any training. The other three, and she's now got seniority, right? So she's got seniority of the lube rack. She's, and we're talking in school, we're talking about CAN bus, and she's going to work spinning oil filters. So I understand that, what, that there's, there's this concern about are we educating them correctly? Are, should they be having an assessment exam when they leave, which is kind of where NATEF's at? Should they understand CAN buses? But what the shops are saying to the students is, you've just got to change oil faster. What we want from you is an oil filter spinner. That's what we want. So when I have all the dealers in our area in my advisory committee, they're constantly saying they just need to be really fast at spinning oil filters. And then once they have their degree, maybe, maybe we'll let them touch a used car. Right? 
So when are you going to touch a CAN bus failure on a Toyota product? No offense, sorry. When are you going to touch a CAN, bu can, CAN bus problem on a Toyota product? Well, you've got to be a master, right? And that's years down the road. So for right now, you're just going to spin oil filters and get good at that. And you're competing with the detailers and the car jockeys that they found can show up to work and pass a, pass a drug test. So you're on the Lubrac along with them. So what is that saying when I have a student who has to quit a job that's not in our industry to take a pay cut to spin oil filters and get told that, number one, you've made a poor career choice because all the flat rate journeymen in the shop are saying, you're an idiot for choosing this. You need to go do something else. You're smarter than this, right? And number two, they have flat rate to look forward to. And maybe, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little hot. Anyway, but uh, a student that I had here last year who spent his whole time on the Lubrac at the Subaru dealer, his, what he's doing today right now, airbag recalls. He's going to be doing airbag recalls for a year before he earns his stripes to move up into the shop and do something, maybe like calibrating an eyesight camera. That's two years out of my classroom. Meanwhile, they're expecting him to tool up with the snap-on box, make this huge investment for minimal amount of money over minimum wage. Something isn't making sense. This is an industry culture issue. And this whole uh, automotive career pathways scenario, which is what this is titled, um, this is a, a massive problem. So we, the industry, are driving away the quality. So I can get the quality in my classroom, and then they get pushed out by industry who's saying that we're not doing enough to provide quality products to the shops. This is a crazy it's, circle, and us educators are caught in the middle of it because yeah. we're trying to do what NATEF says, and then the, the dealer's like, we just want them to change oil fast. But those, those soft skills, you've got to do something about their cell phone usage. You've got to do something about... They're nonstop texting. You've got to do something about them showing up late to work. Or are we supposed to be teaching them how a CAN bus works? <laughs> or how to put air in a tire? Yeah. Or how to change that oil filter that doesn't look like an oil filter? Or how to do a steering angle reset? Or again, are we supposed to be teaching them how to put their cell phones down when maybe their cell phone is where they're getting their data from? It's, we are in an, we educators are in this impossible <laughs> cycle right now let me let me answer that because number one i feel your pain and and i will say this educators like you and your and your peers are the hardest working most underappreciated lowest paid people in this industry Great. And, we, and, and we need and and the fault in this whole thing is not you and it's not the student it's us it's industry it's the shop owners it's, it's those of us who have been in the industry for a long enough period of time have never seen the, a change in a business model in many cases since we got into the industry. You mentioned flat rate. Flat rate was meant to pay for warranty repairs. It had nothing to do with running a business and all the businesses that have, all the business models that have been promoted over the last 40 or 50 years we're leveraging flat rate to, to enrich in the, the, the margin in the business. You mentioned tools. Tools should belong to the shop. If I've, I was recently in, Fire, in uh, a Firestone uh, truck tire plant in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and I walked through this plant, and I was watching the operation of the plant, 
and I'm watching raw rubber being dumped into a machine, and out of that machine came a wide ribbon of, of that raw rubber. And it was kind of fascinating to watch. And I just sat and looked at it, and I always refer back to the shop. Imagine if that machine had to go get its own raw rubber. And imagine if that machine was broken and it had to go to the snap-on truck out on the, on the lot and buy its own tools and parts to fix itself. And imagine if that truck uh, or that machine had uh, nobody there to adjust it or anything of that nature. The point I'm making is you're trying to grow a production tool for the shop that has skill, that is sellable, that they can mark up and gain profit from. But that machine doesn't need to be serving itself. It needs to be served. Okay? So what I challenge shop owners in this room to do is look yourself in the mirror and modify your business model and, and learn or read about becoming a servant leader. If you can understand what, being, what servant leadership is, and in the automotive industry, that's hypercritical, that you serve your production team in a way that allows them to do the job they were trained to do, and you pay them for that, and it doesn't need, it's not flat rate, it's, it's a fair wage, a livable wage. You can charge for that. So the, I think the biggest problem we have as an industry is our business model for, for shop owners, and Donnie will attest to this. He, he makes a good living, but he certainly doesn't run his shop like 99% of the shops in the country. So we all have to look ourselves in the mirror, adjust our business models so we can support education in a way that allows them to produce talent that we can put in our buildings and support or serve so, so that we can all serve the people that really make this industry go, and that's the motorist that brings their cars to us and trusts us with their lives. So. Uh, I, I applaud you, Dan. The number one thing we got to do is help you guys. And that's what this thing is all about. Thanks, Chris. Uh, by the way, a huge high five to bring two students with you. Are there any more here? Just two? <clears throat> two, in the, two in the room. There's 11 here. 11 students here. Wow. <laughs> we'll do two more questions and then we'll button it up. I want to thank you <clears throat> and suggest you stop bringing people over to the dealerships because let me because let me tell you a quick story i stopped going to the meetings of my local high schools because they kept feeding the kids to the dealerships just to be chewed up and spit out so you got some highly talented people that are getting chewed up and spit out because they're going in the wrong okay. industry the dealerships will do that so to talk to us independent guys we want people like you young lady i live in vegas it's beautiful 360 days of sunshine a year by the way <laughs> okay. so all right, so we have um, Bosch is coming up with a, an apprentice program, and we have the American Skilled Labor Association, which is a Department of Labor-approved apprenticeship program, and everybody else trying to reinvent the wheel, and I have struggled and failed with the mentorship program, and I have struggled and failed with the apprenticeship program internally in my own shop. How do we get it all together? Because I would love nothing more than to have a technician go through an apprentice program, be certified, be competent, and be required to do continuing education on an ongoing basis to maintain that competency no different than my doctor or my realtor 
or my hygienist that does my teeth? How do we get it all together is my question, because quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of chasing everybody who's got a little piece of the pie. Yeah, so well, that's, uh, the, that's the thing, right? And, and from our point of view, we need to put them together in a room so that they can see how much they're already doing the same. And, and there may be an end-all, be-all panacea already out there. I doubt it. But there are some really good programs mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. We want to get them together and give them an opportunity. And I'm not saying NASDAQ's going to sit here and write the program, mm -hmm. but I'll bet you if we put all those guys together, <coughs> we will. Somebody will write this program. I have full confidence in our industry to solve any problem. We, we sat there and said, well, who's going to handle the whole issue? In fact, I think it was Kyle that said this in the first meeting he was at in, um, in Kansas City at Vision. He said, well, what's going to happen then with the whole thing of the practical instructor? And I said, well, you know what? Somebody in the industry will come up with an answer out. to that. Bob Padgale called me the next day. I hadn't even had any conversation with him. He's like, I got this idea. Yeah. And it was exactly <laughs> what we've been talking about. Yeah, and so, so we're putting this mentoring program together. And, and you're right. There's a whole lot of people that are out there doing that. Um, one of the things that we focused on is we're, we're already talking with Bosch. We know what they're doing. They know what we're doing. We're sharing, as, we're sharing with anybody, trying to get something that's industry that, that can be standardized. And part of that is we wanted to work with ASE and the ASE Ed Foundation because they're already working across all of, almost all of the career tech, automotive career tech programs. If we don't have industry and education aligned, then somebody else from education is going to come along and come up with something else. To, to the exact issues that the instructor back there, and by the way, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you to all instructors for what you guys do. If we don't align industry and education, we're just, it's just going to be somebody else running out there and throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's why by working with the ASE Ed Foundation, we're teaming up across the entire education part of the industry as well as the industry partners. Will it be the end all be all? Not at, not at first, but we've got to, if we're not, if we don't start, we're going to end up right back where we are. I, I think uh, I'd like to just do a shameless plug for just a second. Um, <laughs> let, let, me, let me share with you, we have to do something, Frank, and, and that's, that's the perfect answer. Do something. I think we do a lot of things. I think, we, I think we've got to do more than one thing. And so um, my organization is committed to uh, trying to model something for industry rather than wait for us to figure this out. Let's, let's throw something against the wall and let's test it. And so over here to the right, I've got uh, Anthony and Deborah Williams. Anthony and Deborah wave to the crowd. Anthony is, uh, works for me as the liaison uh, between Advanced Auto Parts and a new idea, a school that we're uh, going to build in Colorado Springs. Deborah is our uh, school leader, uh, and they're both founders of this idea. I met Anthony a little over a year ago, uh, quite by chance, as a blind date, uh, thrown in a, in a conference room and, and shared his dream with me. And those of you that were at the NASDAQ meeting yesterday heard uh, this brief story, uh, but I'll, I'll condense it even more. Anthony shares his, shared his dream. I re quickly recognized that he'd been in my head because we shared the same dream. 
and was part of my strategic plan uh, that was still four years off in the distance, but uh, I was so impressed by it. Uh, my senior VP that was with me was so impressed by it. I hired him the next week. Uh, we put him to work on uh, putting the charter application together for a PTEC school. PTEC is Pathways to Technology, Early College High School. It's a six-year high school program that will be built in Colorado Springs. Uh, it will allow the students to be immersed in, and it's not just an, a different automotive school, it's a different education model that really uh, uh, is, it's much about what we've been talking about uh, this afternoon. Uh, a six-year high school, which gives us the ability to, to gain the per-pupil funding from public school for those six years. So it's a public high school in partnership with a community college, in partnership with industry. It's not in partnership with Advanced Auto Parks. It's going to be in partnership with everybody in this room that wants to participate in this. And so we're, we're standing up a consortium to build the first building uh, and open the school in the fall of 2020. Uh, we have to write our own curriculum. We're in the process of doing that. But here's what the, the flow or student flow is going to look like in the school. In the first two years of their life, they'll, they'll be working in project-based learning that has a STEM foundation or, more importantly, a STEAM foundation. Um, there's not a traditional classroom in the school. Uh, they will learn their course, courses, which we must meet to graduate from high school. They've got to have their English and their math and their history and all of those things. But those teachers will be weaving those, those skills and those competencies within each project. Students will pitch, pick which projects they want to participate in. Uh, and they'll be immersed in one of three path or all three pathways, and they'll choose one of these three pathways at the end of their, of their sophomore year. And those pathways are automotive technology, business, and engineering. And as they go through those projects and gain knowledge about English history and math, there the four or the three R's are going to be really in play in this school. And one is rigor. The rigorous nature of our curriculum is designed to in, instill competency outcomes and mastery of skill so that those students learn those basic skills that they can apply no matter where they end up in, in industry. Number two is, is relevance. It's going to be relevant to our industry. Uh, the topics, the projects, everything is going to be relevant to the automotive service industry, the mobility industry. My, my, my analogy is we won't have to read Moby Dick, okay, unless you really want to read Moby Dick uh, or War and Peace. So, and the third thing is relational, rigorous, relevant, and relational, because young students today want to work together in partnership. And I wish I'd have, had, I have a slide we have a rendering for the school that has the entryway with great big giant steps that the kids go out and sit on and, and eat lunch at. And there's these big monitors up on the wall. And what our imagination leads us to think is those students are working on a project and they can say, you know, I, Kyle told us about this, but I can't, I'm not really getting this. And they'll text Kyle, my project Don't team leader. We'll, we'll text Jill, our project leader and say, Ms. Saunders, we don't understand this, and she can say, where are you at? And in fact, she can probably see where you're at based on your geolocation on your phone. She'll say, look at monitor four, I'll cast it on the screen in front of you. And you create those opportunities for these kids to get immersed. Chuck Sprague, is Chuck in the room? 
he, he I saw him down the hall earlier. Chuck Sprague, the, the vocational or the STEM instructor at uh, Wheat Ridge High School, uh, convinced me that if we put kids in project-based models and let them work together, man, some amazing things can happen. So once they go through those first two years, they choose their pathway. They're immersed in that pathway for the next two years, and then they go to college classes in their 13th and 14th grade levels. The outcomes of this, of this school presents a student that is immersed in the technology, that has, tech, has a mastery of skill, that has exposure through internship and mentorship to industry, that has a relation with shop owners, that has real ASC certifications with work experience, that has an associate's degree in the discipline that they chose, and has zero debt. So join us. Visit autoinstitute.org. Autoinstitute.org. There's our logo. Uh, there's a, that site will be up probably Monday. I apologize it's not up. We had a cert certificate issue on the, with our IT team. It, you know, always blame it on IT. And we'll, it'll give you an opportunity to fill out a, a contact form and tell us how you want to participate in the project, and we'll reach out to you. Um, I promised there would only be one more, but I have to do two, and I'm going to ask <laughs> my two finals, because we are running late, to make it short. Okay. I just, <clears throat> first of all, I want to make sure. I, I heard you guys right, but you can't have it both ways. You can't take uh, students that are in fifth grade and, and expect to have... And, and give them um, automotive training and expect to have them have high school grades or high school qualifications in math and science and all that. What we need, right, they need their high school sk skills mm -hmm. to be this. Well, okay. They have to have that. Yeah. The high school is the only place to do that. So, so let, wait, let them wait till they're mature enough to decision and say, hey, I think I want that and try it out. I'm on an advisory board for high school. I'm telling you, almost all those students do not stay in the automotive industry because of pay scale, because of dirty work conditions, because of a lot of different reasons. They leave it. We've got to have the draw. We've got to have the draw. Secondly, okay, most importantly, if you're going to make this work, there's going to have to be a co-op. You're going to have to find some way to co-op and get them a high school credit or get them a college credit so they go with it. Oh, Let them work in the field. But that means you've got to have repair facilities that are qualified. You can't give it to uh, just any repair facility. He's got to meet qualifications, safety, uh, OSHA, whatever, right? So, he's, so they can come in there. And they have to have a thing that says, you can't be on a lube rack for the six weeks you're going to be here, okay? Uh, you can do the lube rack for a week. You show him, uh, they, they got to, state of Michigan says, you have to work for two years as a trainee before you get certified on anything, okay? Mm -hmm. oh, you can get the skills, you can pass the test, you still got to work. Yep. Yep. Okay, so this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. However, it needs to be worked out so that, the, so that uh, repair shops like my own, okay, you have a good way to work that out uh, cost-effectively, right? Because you're right. They're not coming out of there with the skills. And even if they have the training and knowledge, they don't have the hand skills. They don't have the practical skills. Well, 40% so, of the graduates from automotive programs that enter the industry are leaving the industry in the first two years. That's that. not sustainable. Yep. And I don't think anybody up here is saying that, that we want to start training them on how to fix cars when they're, five, no. or when they're in fifth grade. What we're saying is that if we see that they're focused on tactile learning, Maybe we can push them towards career tech education opportunities and show them that 
at, when they get to high school, hey, here are some opportunities in education that can help push you towards a transportation. What I'm saying is that's, a, that's an educational program, pro- problem. That belongs to the education department, not necessarily for us. That's, they have that's, fixed that's, identify, that's identifying that problem within themselves. Learning, having students learn on their own pace has been a question. In, industry still has to participate in, in saying that we need, we need more techs and we've got to push them towards that career tech yeah. path. Yeah, the reason other countries are well ahead of us in this area is because they start looking at kids for what they're good at when they're young, much younger than where we do. You can't decide when you're a junior or senior that you're going to enter a high-tech industry and expect to be doing that before you're 30 years old, except that that's what the kids want to do. They want to jump out and do it. So what have they been doing? They've been playing video games, and how damn good at it are they? Right? They're really good at that. Why don't we find some other things they can do while they're in school so that they've got some, some of this? Because they don't have any hands-on anymore. They don't do anything with their hands. So when you find a kid that can do it, you grab them and you say, hey, kid, let's go play with this. One of the things TechForce is talking about doing uh, in, their, in their test market in, in Arizona is getting those fifth and sixth graders into a STEM kind of environment. Uh, we've, we're actually building one in Wheat Ridge as well where we're going to let those kids use their hands to do things. And when you see somebody who can just go like this, like, hey, kid, let's talk about this. You don't have to talk about automotive. You just have to talk about the lack of people that can do this. You're magic, not an idiot. You're good at something. That's right. Thank you all so much. Great. One more. Hi, so uh, my name is Shari Thezen. I own a master mechanic in Reno, Nevada. I'm also a speaker and a trainer. And um, in the industry, I've been here for about 14 years. And so I, I, there's things that you guys know that we can't do that I believe we can do, because I just don't know any better, <laughs> to be clear. And there's been a lot of concern in the room today. I now know why I'm last speaking, because I'm the president for Napa Business Development Group. It's a group of shops that gets together. And we tend to be all independent in this industry. And I think that's probably our crux, right, is that we're in too independent. And I can attest to the fact that getting these guys to work together over the last three years was quite the job. Um, but we have succeeded. Um, and I want to let you know that there are, I appreciate the apprentice program. Napa is working with the gentleman who out is out of Utah, has an apprentice program that's being approved by the Board of Labor. Board of Labor so that it will be accepted as curriculum um, in our class or in our industry as well. So there's great things that are happening, you guys, all over the industry. And in our neighborhood, we partnered with our community college and gave them three second-year scholarships because they said technicians were not finishing school. They're getting a job after one year, and they're going in the shops, and they don't know what they're doing, which is why they're leaving. So we fulfilled that gap and said, you've got to stick for your second year, and we'll pay the whole thing for you, all of it. So we put out three of those this last year. Um, I went to the school and we did a class to help them fill out the scholarship form because none of them are applying for the scholarships. So we had 18 students in that class. All of them got a scholarship for the first time ever. And in March, in time for Auto Care Month, we are opening for zero to five years an auto care center in the Discovery Museum for the kids. 
typical music exhibits like this cost about $200,000, but a group of shops in any community can open up their own kids' center that's car care, and they take wheels off. They actually play with the cars. So then we are really stepping forward to get them to love the cars, that it's fun with the cars, and to have the parents respect it. Mm -hmm. And then also supporting the AAC and then everything that we do. Our students from college are going to come and teach workshops there. So that's just our little story, but may it inspire you to go back to your communities and think, how can I step into the solution now? It might not be what somebody else is doing, but if it's what you're doing, and you can get it to work, it will. Yep. And in closing, we have an apprentice who never worked on cars before. We brought him into our shop. We put him in a training program. He now has three SE certifications, and he bills 43 hours a week all day long in one year. In one year. And, and we have a triple master certified guy that's on his way to his fourth ASE master that is training him. So it can happen. Yep. Do not give up. We just need to get together, communicate more, and support each other, Amen. please. Good job. Right that was very good. Thanks, Shari. Hey, um, <clears throat> I have a final comment on uh, uh, getting involved with advisory uh, boards. In, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the post-secondary that I am on, there's only two independents. Uh, I think about 14 in the advisory uh, in the committee. And what, what really hit me just recently is that the independents just need to get in gang force, even if they're not on the committee, and go in and see the department chair and sit down and say, hi, we exist, we're here, we're ready to work with you. Oh, by the way, do you need any equipment? Can I get my name up on the wall? You don't have to be on the advisory panel to be involved in post-secondary and fight for those candidates. Right? Amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, uh, <clears throat> this went way beyond my, my expectations, and I can't tell you enough for all of you to be here. Thank you, thank you. And Kyle Holt, Chris Chesney, Jill Saunders, and Donnie Seifer. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Jill Saunders, Donnie Seifer, Chris Chesney, and Kyle Holt for your contribution to this Apex 2018 EDU panel. Thanks for your continued efforts to move the road to great technicians forward. Hey, find a bunch of brand new pics on the photos page on the RemarkableResults.biz website. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.